Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are our God. And I just pray that as we, as we go through this message, that you would allow us to, to search our heart, uh, to see you work, and to give you glory in each of the things that you do. Lord, I thank you for the music that you provide. I thank you for church, and I thank you for people, wonderful people that have given their life to you and are passionately in love with you. Lord, I pray for the youth as they go down. I just ask that you will bless them, that you will let them see your word, that you will let them see you and the teachers, Lord. I pray a blessing upon them, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Children can be dismissed. Thank you guys and Cadence. So we're in this series on Peter. And if you turn in your Bibles to Acts 4, starting at verse 32. But before we do that, I just want to almost confess something a little bit. And it works with this message, but after last week's sermons, I started to doubt my faith a little bit. I started to doubt my faith instead of doubting my doubts. And the reason for it was because I was seeing all these miracles that Peter was doing, these these grand miracles, and I'm wondering why they aren't happening today. Now, I understand there's miracles around. I understand that salvation is the greatest miracle, but why? And so when our doubts lead us to the Word of God, we can use them, and God can use even our doubts. And I saw in Genesis, God does an amazing miracle. I mean, He literally puts the universe into place with His voice. Amazing. And then there's a time where we don't see miracles. And then Noah comes on the scene, and I, I just imagine his neighbors watching him as he's building this massive boat, and they're wondering, what is going on? And God is giving them the opportunity to come to him and say, hey, what are you doing? But most of them didn't. But imagine the miracle to bring all those animals to that boat. You could not deny what God was doing as He's going to restart human civilization. And then it's quiet. I mean, yeah, there's little miracles here and there, things that we see today, but all of a sudden this guy named Moses comes around and, the, and this era of the law is ushered in. You see the parting of the Red Sea. You see these massive miracles as God is doing something in His people. And then it's quiet. You know, there's little miracles here and there, but nothing to that grand scheme that we see there. And then along comes some prophets by the name of Elijah and Elisha. Fourteen miracles by Elijah. Twenty-eight of them by Elisha. And you see, as God's ushering these prophets, as they're going to talk about this Messiah, this Savior to come, He's putting the authority in these prophets. And then it's quiet. 
Until the greatest of all, Jesus comes around. The last days, the golden era, Jesus comes around and does amazing miracles. And it continues with the apostles. As the Holy Spirit is establishing these apostles, this grand church, this new era, as the church goes out to all these people, it will eventually be you. And last week we were talking about Peter and John and they were declaring boldly which name has the authority in their life. And they understand that what they're doing is going to cause persecution. An English martyr by the name of Hugh Latimer said this, whenever you see persecution, there is more than a probability that truth is on the persecuted side. If that statement does not hold true today and throughout history, I do not know what does. And Peter and John and the rest of the apostles, they understand this. But what do they do? They pray. Acts 4, 29 and 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your, war, your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your Holy Spirit. Or your Holy Servant, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. When persecution hits, are we willing to pray? Because I believe at some moment in the future, before Christ returns, we're going to see some prophet and apostle-like miracles happening. And we need to be able to recognize them. And we need to be able to pray this exact prayer. But we can apply that to the day. When we pray that prayer in this world, this world will be shook up and the Holy Spirit will do some work in His people and those that are coming to Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit is working, we are bold. And yeah, boldness may lead to persecution, but it also leads to an amazing unity in the church. Look at Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to Him was His own, but they had everything in common. You see, although we see a social unity in the church... This is different than socialism or communism that we see now. This is people choosing to have everything in common, not a government forcing it on them. We know this because we see Peter and the way he responds to Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. And the apostles, right now, they have this great power. The Holy Spirit is moving and shaking in everything that they do. And people are giving everything to the church. They are completely selling out. But as we look at this sermon, as we look at this text, the real question is not how much I should give to God, but how much God wants me to use for myself to give Him glory. You see, God gives us everything. Everything is His. And God, He wants us to give within our means, but He also wants us to give beyond our means. He wants a giving heart. 2 Corinthians 8.3 for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. God, He wants us first. But the reality is our bank account says who we are. Like my bank account right now says that I've spent $500 in the last month on baseball bats. Now, I love baseball, but is baseball more important to me than Jesus? My prayer is that it's not. You see, the church does not need money. God has everything. 
God wants you. That's the only thing that God doesn't have. Unless you have given your life to Christ, if you are outside of it, God wants you. And even if you're His, He still wants everything. He wants your heart. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. God wants a willing heart that is pure, honest, and gives with joy. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he decides in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And as we read this text, as we go through this sermon, we're going to see that God wants everything. But I'm telling you that part of everything is you. How does God want you to use the money that He has given you to give God glory? So let's bounce back to Acts. And we see these people giving of all their resources to the church. And we especially see one of my favorite people in the Bible, this Barnabas. In Barnabas, he sells some land and he gives all the money to the church. Acts 4, 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas was a giving man. Now there could have been a lot of reasons why he did this. I mean, obviously he loved to encourage people and we should do the same. Now I understand not all of us can heal people with our shadow like Peter's going to do or by touching them or with our words, but every single one of us in here can be an encourager. And how do we encourage? By meeting the needs of people physically, by meeting their needs emotionally, and by meeting their needs, most importantly, spiritually. And often this requires us to give up something in our life. And I don't know if you read this or you saw this, but you probably glanced by it in the text. You see, Barnabas was a Levite, and you might say, Zach, why is that so important? We'll bounce back to Deuteronomy 10.9. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. Barnabas had land that he was not supposed to have. He was not living according to the law, and yet the Holy Spirit did a work in his life, and he turned something that could very well have been a sin into a blessing. Instead of holding on to something, he used it for God's glory. And this story is a great example of what it looks like to give your life to Christ, to be real, to be honest about our sin, to be honest about everything in our life. And if we're truly honest, if I'm truly honest, when I read the Bible, last week I read this story about Peter healing a lame beggar, and I loved it. But how often do we read this next story that we're going to talk about, about God judging others, and it's not quite our favorite? I mean, we love Dr. Peter. We love Dr. Jesus. But judge Peter and judge Jesus? Eh, I could leave that one. Guys, even my mom when I told her that she was going to have to talk about Ananias and Sapphira downstairs, was like, are you sure about this? I was like, yep, you got to figure out how to tell kindergartners about God killing people for lying. If anybody can do it, you can. (laughs) Guys, right now, Satan is understanding that he cannot infiltrate the church from the outside. So what does he do? He comes in from the inside. 
And that's this story of Ananias and Sapphira. Difficult story. You see, Satan's been doing this for the last 2,000 years, and I say it's time to make him stop. Ananias and Sapphira have seen the hearts of the people that are giving everything, and they want a piece of the glory instead of giving it to God. And the same Peter, who gives grace to a lame beggar and heals the sick, shows no mercy for this hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a deliberate deception, and Jesus was not a fan either. Jesus shows compassion, grace, and mercy for all kinds of sin, except deception. Which is actually, if you think about it, probably grace. Because we cannot find the Savior unless we are honest with our sin. So let's pick up the story here. Acts 5, 1 and 2. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, if I just left it here, you would think that this was a cult. But that's not what Christianity is. It is different. I want you to look at some of these points. And I took some of them from J.D. Greer. When we look at this difficult text, I saw four things. Number one, there are two types of people in the church, and it's incredibly difficult to tell which ones are real and which ones are hypocrites. Number two, we cannot hide from God. Number three, sin is deadly. And number four, fear is part of worship. And let me explain. Number one, there are two types of people. On the surface, it seems like Ananias and Sapphira are just like Barnabas. They're willing to sell everything and give to the church. But it's not just that. It's their, their motive that God sees. Verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? I can promise you that God is against deception and that is exactly what Satan is. John 8, 4, 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he lies. He speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Deception is the opposite of God. Deception keeps us from acknowledging our sin. Ananias and Sapphira... They did not have to give everything that they sold. You see, they could have given nothing as long as they did not lie, act like they were giving everything. God wants our honesty. Our honesty about who we are and what we have done. Now, a little example of this, and I, I always wondered if I should actually say this, and maybe it makes me a terrible person, but I go for a walk almost every day with my dogs. And all of you know that when you go for a walk with your dogs, you have to remember a certain bag for your dogs. Well, often I forget the bag, and my dogs do what they're not supposed to in an area that they're not supposed to do it. And I'll see a car, and, and I've been known to act like I'm going to pick it up. And when the car passes by, I don't, and I walk on. Now, I know none of you are like me. But I often see the same thing in the church. We act like we're holy, holy, holy. But we do it to, to look that way in the presence of people. And what really matters is the presence of Jesus. You see, often I actually go back and pick that up. But nobody sees me but my Lord. 
You see, Peter does not need all of Ananias and Sapphira's money. God does not need all of their money. He does not need any of it. But God wants our honesty. He wants truth in His church. And there is huge consequences when there's not. And Peter is saying, this is why it's not a cold. He's saying, hey, give what you feel, what you feel that God is telling you to give, but please do not lie about it. Just to make yourself look better. If you do that, then you are no different than the Pharisees who do everything out of being seen. And that leads us to number two you cannot hide from God, God sees everything. I'm not sure why we try to hide from God. I mean, He's always there. He's everywhere. And I get it. It may be difficult for us to figure out who is telling the truth, who is a hypocrite, and who is not. But God knows exactly who is. He is the perfect judge. That's why He's the only one that gets to make those judgments. When we lie to God, We are only hurting ourselves. We are only separating ourselves from the only one that can save us. We are dead. And the antidote is His Son, Jesus. Guys, number three, sin is deadly. And we must understand this. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We often look at this and we only see the second half, this free gift. But if we forget the first half, it doesn't have quite the same impact in our life. You see, if somebody paid my IRS debt, but I didn't owe the IRS nothing, I might be thankful. I might be a little weirded out because I don't know why they think I need to owe the IRS money. But if I owe the IRS $500,000 and I'm about to go to jail for it, and they tell me they paid all my debt in full, that's a completely different type of thankfulness. I am in debt to them. Deception is such a big deal that God must address, and He does it immediately in the beginning of the church. And He addresses it in a way that caused panic and a great fear. Number four, fear is part of worship. And it's not my favorite part. I don't think it's anybody's favorite part. But in reality, it is. Verse five, When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all who heard of it. Now, the church is not hiding. It's right here in his word. And then we see Sapphira. She comes in and she doubles up on it. Acts 5, 8. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. That's some difficult text. But deception is difficult. Deception takes us away from God. God is going to use all things to bring those outside the faith to Him. Even fear sometimes. Verse 11, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. We read about some of the same things happening in Revelation. Thanks, Russ. When you read Revelation, it goes back to the beginning when I was talking about these new eras being established. And God is going to use tragedy. He's going to use fear. He's going to release some crazy, scary horsemen that are going to conquer and take away peace. Peace. 
And then they're going to take away our crops and our food sources. And then bring about famine and, pl- and plagues. And they're, they're going to carry some scary animals that are going to take some life. And this is just the beginning. I mean, there's earthquakes. There's black suns, blood moons. Stars fall, start falling from the sky. Islands and mountains start moving. I mean, this is just some of it, guys. And I'm not trying to scare you, but maybe I am. Fear is powerful. But in that power is grace. Fear is grace. Anything that does not kill you, but lead you to Jesus is absolute grace. Revelation 14.7 And He said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because of the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. This is another time for these miracles. And people will come to Christ because of it. Judgment is a way to save every last soul to be in the kingdom of God. And the same is happening right here as Peter calls out Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 14, And more than ever, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. More than ever? I mean, 5,000 people at least have come to Christ. Is there going to be 10,000? I don't know. But the church, the church right now is bursting at the seam and God is using any means necessary to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit as the church starts to grow and just expand worldwide, which leads to some of us sitting here today. And yeah, the people are afraid. They were afraid, but they could not argue with what the apostles were doing. These amazing miracles that they were doing, even if it was judgment. God was ushering in a new era, the era of the church. And these apostles, they're hanging out in Solomon's portico. And people do not want to join them. I mean, you see this, but they hold him in high esteem in verse 13. God is not leaving any doubt about who He is and who He has given authority to, and that's these apostles. Can you imagine verse 15? Seeing what is happening all around us, and yet some people are not coming to Christ. Listen to this. And so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and lay them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The Holy Spirit does not need them to touch people. He does not need them to speak. He can use Peter's shadow to heal the sick. And he's healing people, all of them. His power. The Holy Spirit's power is enough for everybody. And God, His judgment is perfect. And He knows the heart of every person. I'm telling you that God is the only one that has the right to choose the number of our days whether that's before you were born or you lived to be 100. So often we think of God as being wonderful if we lived to be 100, but terrible if we were aborted. And I know this is extreme, but if you see it through God's eyes, would you rather go to paradise or be around for 100 years on earth? I truly believe as terrible as abortion is, heaven is filled with aborted children and our God uses the terrible and turns it into terrific. Our God is always in control. In control of all things in this world. And He is using miracles. And He is using persecution. He is using everything to give Him glory. And at this time, none of these miracles are going unnoticed. 
The Sadducees are filled with jealousy. And they're not filled with jealousy because they should be, because they have this relationship with Jesus, this saving grace. No, they want some of the power. They want to be able to do some of this stuff. And if they can't do it, then nobody can. No healing for you, no healing for you, no healing for anybody because we're not the ones doing it. And so what do they do? They put Peter and the apostles in prison once again. Can you imagine what is going on at this time? But let's see how the apostles respond. Verse 19. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Hey, do not run. Go back where you're arrested and preach the word of life. And I would have been like, whoa, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Every one of us would have been that way. We'd have took off, but not these apostles. They go exactly where they're told to go. They go and they preach the gospel of life. And this next part, it talks about the officers showing up and the gate is locked and they're not in there. And yet it says, the captain of the chief of the temple was greatly perplexed. Really? I mean, you've been watching miracles over and over again. Do you think it's that hard to get out of a locked prison gate? Not at all. And so they finally find them exactly where they arrested them, probably the last place they would have looked. But this next part, if you don't hear anything else in this sermon, hear this. As Christians, this is how we should act. We are to be peaceful. We are to be gentle. And we are to be respectful. Verse 26, and then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force. Did you catch that? Not by force. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. The apostles, they went. It did not take force. They went willingly because they were going to take any moment that they could to share about who Jesus is and what he has done in their life. Because it's not about Peter. It's not about the apostles. It's about Jesus and it's about others. And you can contrast this with the leaders of the Jewish people. It was all about them. Verse 28. Saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And these apostles are like, no, that man's blood is on all of us. But you are only redeemed if you are willing to surrender to it. Who do we obey? Do we obey God or do we obey man? And the leaders in Jerusalem are trying to shut down this movement when God will open and close the doors that He wants. I think so often we hide behind the unknown, this fear. I'm telling you that if you feel like God is asking you to share the gospel in the community or anywhere in this world, I believe that He has put that on your heart and that you should do it. In that we as individuals and as a church, we should be open to letting God work in our life. I think as a church, we have a tendency to try to do everything on our own, whether we like it or not. But I ask, and I know that the elders in this church, all of our policies are about allowing God to work and to let us get out of the way. I'm telling you, if we're going to err, I would much rather err on being too generous, helping too much, or being too kind and sharing the gospel with too many people. I am telling you that when I go to heaven, I would much rather have Jesus tell me, you shouldn't have helped that person, than him ever tell me that I should have. Peter and the apostles, they speak 
Christ. They are speaking Christ, this boldness, and they've seen what has happened, and they've seen all these miracles, and instead of listening to them, the leaders are letting their power get to their head. Instead of letting God work in their life and in the life of others, they want to kill them. But thankfully, this right-on righteous dude named Gamaliel speaks. Pretty sure dude is a Hebrew word, at least in my Bible. Verse 35, and he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. Gamaliel goes on to bring up two people that tried to basically claim to be the Messiah. And after they died, the people dispersed. Theodos in verse 36 and Judas the Galilean in verse 37. And what happens to these men? These men fail because it's not God's will. It is not God's plan. And the same should happen today and throughout history. I'm asking us as a church, how do we support the ministry of the people in this church? When ministry is stirring in your hearts, how do the leaders in this place open it up so that you can do ministry to reach people in this place? Do you have something stirring in you? Some ministry that's stirring in you that you have to let get out to others? I challenge you to go do it. I challenge you as leaders to empower the people in this church to go do it. What's the worst that can happen? We lose a little bit of money? We can't take that with us anyways. Guys, I ask us to hold on to this story of Gamaliel. You see, when we are against something, we could be against God, and God is working in all of us, and when we believe that, He will carry out His sovereign plan. He carries out it regardless. The last thing that I ever want to be known as is working against God. So my challenge to you, my challenge to you is to continually open up your life to allow God to work in it. Never say never. If God wants to move you, move. Whether that's to another town or to move you in this town, do it. Do not be afraid. You have the Holy Spirit working in you. And if He wants you to stay and speak here, do it. If He wants you to open up a business, do it to the glory of God. You see, money is a tool, not a security blanket. We cannot take any of it with us. I'm telling you, are we going to invest it in God's kingdom or invest it in something else? Now, I get it. Taking care of ourselves is part of God's plan. And God does not say that we can't have nice things. He just doesn't want nice things to have you. You see, He has a funny way of taking away the enjoyment in things when they're not giving glory to God. We should fear God and not ministry. And these leaders, they take Gamaliel's advice and they give him a little beating and let him go. But I love what the apostles do. They do something that so few of us in the United States do. Verse 41. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were not discouraged. They did not get let down because salvation is God. Ministry is God's. Always. We are to be obedient. We are to do the things that God has called us to do. You see, the other day I was talking to somebody who was a little bit down because the ministry that he was doing had not reached the people that he thought it was going to reach. 
And I reminded him that every ministry, if it reaches one person, it is worth it. How many resources would Jesus use to reach the one more? Can we really put a price tag on it? Can we really shut it down? What if that one ministry was the ministry that reached my brother? What if it was the one ministry that reached one of my best friends, Eric? What if it was the one ministry that reached your one more? That person that came to your head when I started talking. And it takes so much more than money. It takes bold believers boldly proclaiming the name of Christ. Like they do the apostles in 542 and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus if we are doing this if I am doing this someday my maker will say well done good and faithful servant but I'm telling you if we try to bury our talents the talents that God has given us whether it's money whether it's skills whatever it may be I do not want to hear the opposite in fact, I fear it. It's what drives me. And I hope it's what drives this church. In saying that, though, I know that it does drive this church. I look out at the faces and I see the hearts of the people in this church and this is a beautiful place. A place that is passionate about Jesus. A place that wants to do all of this. A place that loves Jesus so desperately that you will move when He asks you to move, and that you will share when He asks you to share, and that you will share the Gospel with anyone who is willing to listen and some that will not. There are people in here that are desperately in love with Jesus, and I challenge you to go forth. I challenge you to show that love with anyone who is willing to listen. I challenge you to hear what the Holy Spirit is telling you. I challenge you to continually focus on what God wants to do in your life. Because when I look out at this church, I do not see Ananias and Sapphira. I see Barnabas. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And I thank you. I thank you so desperately for people that love you. I thank you for your son. I thank you for his sacrifice. I thank you for hearts. Hearts that are absolutely in love with you. And I pray that would come out in everything that we do. That we would have a focus on you in each of the things that we do in our life. Let us raise our children in a way that honors you. Let us spend the money in a way that honors you. Let us do everything in a way that honors you. I thank you for examples in your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.